Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined once again by Pardeep Katri. How's it going, Pardeep? I'm doing well. I'm not the one that had to sit through a tornado warning, though. So really, the question is, how was that? It, you know, it was a, we have had a week of weather and that's going to be part of our conversation about some of the soccer stuff that happened this week because we it is summertime. It's, uh, the NWSL is a summer league and we've been getting some pretty volatile summer weather. Uh, but before we jump into NWSL action, well, this was just a very busy week, wasn't it? So we had we had three midweek games, we had five weekend games, and we also had the big piece of news the U.S. Women's National Team Olympic 18 was chosen uh, on Wednesday morning. So this was in between some of those midweek games. It just kind of felt like a lot, to be honest. I'm sure it felt like a lot for the players, too. Um, yeah, probably. So there were not a ton of big surprises here, kind of like we anticipated. And I think the conversation that I had with Jason Anderson last week, we were about on the money, right? We kind of, he and I were like, I'm not sure we would pick Heath and Sonnet but we did think that they were ultimately going to be on that roster. So we're just going to go by position and I'm going to ping it over to you, Pardeep, and you can tell me your thoughts. So let's start with goalkeepers. Um, Maybe not a huge surprise here, but perhaps the timeline was a bit quick for this one. We have Adriana Franch and Alyssa Nair. So what do you think for you? Did you think that Franch was going to get the nod here or did did the fact that Campbell was getting some looks make you think that maybe it was going the other way? I think once I decided not to overthink it, I realized that Franch was going to get this this spot. It credit to the backup goalkeeper race. It was probably the most entertaining part of roster building. <laughs> yeah, but in the end, the choice was really unsurprising, which is more or less a theme of the whole roster. Yeah, true. Yeah, I think with Franch, I mean, I think I said this before. Um, for her, it was always just a matter of being fit. And I think that certainly a, a coach like Vladko Andonovsky understands just how good she is. And she does have some international experience, right? She got time in the summer series. She got some time a couple years ago. It was just a matter of whether she could go. And she's in some of the best fitness of her life right now. So yeah, ultimately not super surprised. Um, the timeline of it is one that I don't want to take for granted though, because it's not necessarily something that would have happened in the past, but I am uh, happy to see that. I think those are the two clear choices in, in, in my opinion. And uh, Jane Campbell will be going as the number three as the alternate. Um, so that one, nothing too wild here. I guess that's just kind of be going to be the theme of this whole thing. So let's move on yeah. to defenders. Uh, the defenders will be, they, they are taking six. So they are taking two goalkeepers, six defenders, five midfielders and five forwards. That's also kind of what we thought might be the case. You just never know for sure. So they are taking Abby Dahlkemper, Tierna Davidson, Crystal Dunn, Kelly O'Hara, Becky Sauerbrunn, and Emily Sonnet. What do you think, Pardeep? Uh, surprises there? I think I was mildly surprised about Sonnet. But in the end, again, just looking... I I always bet against experimentation on a thing like this. It... Uh, I know Jill Ellis is technically somebody else. It's obviously Vlatko Anonofsky's team now, but she went with experience for her 2019 roster, which surprised a few people. He did the same with this Olympic roster. Sonnet has the experience that Purse doesn't. It's I still think it's a little bit of a weird choice to ask her to play a position that she hasn't quite excelled in. It's not her preferred spot, and they haven't given her 
a lot of minutes in, you know, positions that suit her better. But she, I, I mean, she does have a, a versatility that will come in handy. That will come in handy if, you know, Ertz, well, she probably won't be healthy for the entirety of the group stage. And if they want some rotation there, because I know Haran has been playing there, but Sonic can do that job too. So maybe that's what sort of tilted things in her direction, but not surprised, even if I wouldn't necessarily have made the choice. Right. I mean, I think for me, I, and this could just be my, you know, my issue is I don't think I know what Emily Sonnet's position is right now. She has been playing outside back for the U.S., but she also has played the six a little bit. She's played some center back for Washington, but she's also kind of played the six for them. I don't think it's super clear exactly where she is just kind of that Swiss army knife with the understanding that her skill sets, including like being a good ball winner, being aware of what's happening around her generating attack through through that i think um those are all positives the one thing about emily sonnet and this i think has been true for most of her career and this is actually something that jason said last week as well which is that i think she's going to if she does get some serious playing time in this tournament she's going to do good things and there are going to be many moments where she helps the team push forward but you're playing a team like Sweden, you're playing a team like Australia. Maybe she's also good for one or two mistakes. And if you get punished on those, that can change the game state very quickly. So I think that compared to purse who to be frank is, is not an amazing outside back. She's much better up top. So maybe he's thinking you're seeing the same rate of mistakes, but maybe not as much of a, defensively minded player and they just really need this to be a a defense but I was a little bit surprised that purse got left off entirely we'll get to the alternates but um she was not a defensive alternate choice and she was not an attacking alternate choice so it, it does just seem like they went with like you said a little bit safe a little bit conservative they've seen Emily Sonnet play a lot of different places and I think they feel like what they could get out of her is stronger than what they could get out of Mitch Purse which I understand the thinking of that. I'm just not sure I entirely agree with it. Right. Um, so moving on to the midfielders, the midfielders, we have five midfielders, Julie Ertz, Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle, Christy Mewis, and Samantha Mewis. So let's start with the two main things here. Um, let's shout out Christy Mewis a little bit. We thought yeah. maybe this would be the case. It seemed like in the last couple of months, that race between her and Katarina Macario, she was kind of getting in the lead there with, some very confident play both in club and internationally, but it's huge that she made this roster. You don't want to discount it just because you kind of saw it coming, right? For sure. I think this, the year delay of the Olympics, this is probably the one player that you do not predict actually ends up on this squad. If the, you know, there was no pandemic because it's really such a remarkable story to watch her form over the last year. She's really, she has really earned this place. And uh, that is probably the story of this roster. She's the only player, I think, on this roster that wasn't at the 2019 World Cup, too. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and we all knew that getting, um, because it is a shorter or a smaller roster with no retirements, right? Everyone kept wanting to play for that Olympic team it was going to be very difficult for anybody to break into this roster. And the fact that she was the one who successfully did it is a huge accomplishment. 
And I think you're right. Definitely a beneficiary of the delay. So was French, honestly. Yes. Um, but it's also remarkable that she is the quote unquote surprise. And yet there's no real argument against her inclusion. Right. She has 100% earned this. Um, and I just, it is, it's, it's remarkable. And I think that she's going to make an impact. I don't think she's going to be stashed. I think that she's going to come into these games and she's going to freak the opponent out a little bit because she's not afraid of anything. And uh, I'm excited to see her play on that level. Right. It's um, sort of that, that thing about experience. She's not necessarily experienced at, you know, the international tournaments with the U S women's national team, but between her and Macario, that's a bet. If you're picking Mewis, that's a bet to win now. Right. To, and that's where that's where that type of pick comes in and you and it does make sense on a smaller roster you don't really you don't necessarily have the space to maybe let a player who's still learning and that's fine get in on the roster right um and and Macario will go right she's gonna go to Tokyo she's on the that alternate list and so she will be getting some of that experience she's not going to be getting game time but she will be getting experience internationally and I, I understand that choice. I really do. Yeah, okay. 100%. The choice I understand, kind of. <laughs> this is maybe my one big, oh, I don't know, is Julie Ertz. Yes. Because we did not really get an update on her injury progress until this roster was announced. And what Vladko Andonovsky said was not that she will be ready for the send-off games or that she will be ready for the group stage. What he said yeah. is that she will not be ready for the send-off games and that she will hopefully start getting minutes in some closed-door scrimmages, friendlies in Japan, and then she will be building minutes throughout the group stage. On an 18-player roster, for a player who is not a striker, right? She's not going to be someone who can come in late and make a huge impact off the top. That's a risk, right? We are old, we are not even a tournament removed from the USWNT doing this at the Olympics. And that, I mean, that's one of the Jill Ellis's choice to bring Megan Rapino when maybe she wasn't at full fitness. That's something that people in retrospect looked back at, thought maybe if you brought someone else, you might not have gotten out to Sweden when you did. And it's and it's different from the Tobin Heath update too, which I'm sure we'll get to in a bit, because I believe Vlatko Andonovsky said that Tobin Heath m- might play send off games. Right. Yeah. So it's such a big bet. I I understand why you make that bet. It's Julie Ertz. I don't know. It's so risky. Here's my thought. I understand why you take Julie Ertz. I really do. She is also someone whose fitness has never been a huge issue. So it is possible that it is a little bit different than Megan Rapinoe in that the team feels like maybe Julie Ertz actually can grind out a full 90 by the time you hit quarterfinals, you know? Um, But it will actually, I will also say this. I also understand the concept of, of having her grow in minutes during the group stage because many teams advance out of the group stage uh first two teams in each group plus some third place teams it's okay i don't think it's disrespectful for the u.s to say 
the group stage is warming into this and we're expecting to move on. So I get that as well. They also have the option of pulling from that alternate list at any point in the tournament. However, they're not taking a Julie Ertz replacement. They've got Katarina Macario, who is next in that list. She is like sixth of, of the five that they put on the, on the roster, but she's not a defensive midfielder. So you're really relying on Lindsay Horan or Emily Sonnet, because we saw her play the six, or maybe Tierna Davidson. But again, she hasn't done that internationally and doesn't do it for her club to fit in when you don't know what other injuries you might pick up or you don't know what you're going to need formationally, depending on who you're playing. The other thing that I don't fully understand is what Julie Ertz as a sub brings to a team. Yeah. Because theoretically you would do it because you need Lindsay Horan further up. Maybe you're chasing a game, but I don't think that that is the move that you make when you're chasing a game. You put in one of your attackers, you change something else, right? You actually push Lindsay Horan up and then have the center backs push up as well. Like that's not necessarily what you do. So this is a play for Julie Ertz to be ready to start a game later in this tournament. Yeah. Which I think is the only just, reason I think the only reason would, Julie Ertz comes on as a sub is so Julie Ertz can get fit. Right. Exactly. So here's my thought. And you can tell me if this doesn't make any sense at all or 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 not, but <laughs> if Julie Ertz can't go. Actually, so here here's my thought actually. So let's actually say this. So we have our three alternates. We've got Casey Kruger, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Katarina Macario and Lynn Williams. Those are your three field players that are on your alternate list. If Julie Ertz isn't ready, I've got three scenarios for you, Party, but you can tell me which one you pick. Scenario number one, you put Macario in there. You say midfielder for midfielder. We'll figure out the defensive midfield on its own. Okay. You, or you say, okay, Emily Sonnet, you are now a midfielder. You are in the midfield. And you bring Kruger in because Kruger is your defensive depth. She can play outside back. She can also play a little bit of center back if she needs to. She can play in a three back. She's done a lot of that sort of stuff. So you say, Emily Sonnet, you go play in the midfield and we are going to replace you with a a full defender. Or you do that same thing. You say, Emily Sonnet, you're going to go play in the midfield. And you bring Lynn Williams because you're like, well, we're going to be a shootout sort of a team and we need that extra attacker. Which do you choose? I think off the bat, I'm going to take off Macario. Okay. I, I like her a lot, but if you're going with that win now mentality, which I think at the end of the day is a perfectly fine choice. Right. She's not, I don't think she's there yet. So I think I will lean towards, hmm, where will I lean? I will right now I'm going to say Lynn Williams. Okay. I I think if you're going to give Sonnet that spot, which I think is the right choice, that's that's the one thing that I would do is give Sonnet uh the number six role. Then but you have to account for the fact that Haran and Sonnet are not Ertz. 
So you're going to want to score goals. And Lynn Williams is doing that. Yeah. She, she is having a little bit of that Crystal Dunn post, uh, that Crystal Dunn 2015 form, though she will be in Japan. So I, that would be the way I go with this. That, that, that would be my choice. Fair enough. I think that's a good choice. I do. I think that, Again, if you were wanting to be hyper conservative, you make the Kruger choice or you just go for it and you bring yeah. Lynn Williams on because I think probably if you're looking at those three alternates, the player that is the first out holistically is Lynn Williams. Yes. So maybe she's the one that you try to get on that roster if you can. Yeah. The U.S. has also uh, joined with the Netherlands and they are trying to see if they can get the alternates on the actual roster for a 22 player roster. We'll see. The IOC prizes exclusivity. I don't know if that's something they'll go for, but that is something that Andonovsky said that he would support. So we'll see. I think if that happens, then the U.S. is the clear favorite. Uh, but but we'll just have to see, kind of see how that goes. Okay, so let's move on to the forwards here. Forwards, we have Tobin Heath, Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, Kristen Press, and Megan Rapino. Really no surprises here. Right. Yeah. Again, I mean, the Tobin Heath thing, her fitness is something, but it seems like she's ahead of Juliet's in that. But yeah, who's surprised? Maybe like a year ago, you wonder, is Carly Lloyd going to make it? Obviously, a year ago, the question would be, would be, is Alex Morgan going to make it? But right. at this point, that there's not a surprise here. So while understanding the logic experienced team internationally experienced Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapino have been producing Tobin Heath is a good X factor kind of a player. If you're trying to unlock defenses, Alex Morgan has been in great form. Kristen press has been in great form. Are you disappointed by this by just how close to the 2015 world cup roster? This is, I mean, I always like surprises. I always like to see new people make it in. I understand why it's been like, I think again, not to keep thinking about whether or not the Olympics would have been last year or not, but if they were last year, I probably would be a little bit more understanding Right. though. I mean, cause the timeline for Ananovsky was very short and it, to be fair in a pandemic year, it didn't get that much longer. He didn't get that much more time to experiment with things. You know, I think, expecting new things out of the USWNT. We'll have to wait just a little while longer, but I think we've hit the end of probably maybe this group of players looking exactly like the rosters looking exactly the same. I think we've hit the end of that now. Yeah. So there's that. (laughs) Yeah. I think also, I think you're right. And I do think that perhaps because the tournament got postponed a year, expectations for change were too high. Yeah. Even for me, probably Uh, the, when you are the steward of a roster like this one, it taking a team that you probably would have taken in 2020 with some minor changes makes a lot of sense. So I don't know how much I can condemn it, but I do think the, the, the brain, the brain seeks change. And so maybe it is a little bit, you could say boring, um, but I understand the logic behind it. Yeah, especially again, the Heath versus Williams thing, you know, I've made my, I've made my case for Lynn Williams, but I do also understand that 
the U.S. is going to probably have to do a lot of that sort of unlocking of a defense. Lynn Williams is fabulous in transition. Uh, she's very good defensively. And it seems, I mean, in the league, at least, she is a, a, a good goal scorer. But Tobin Heath does bring in against that style of play something very specific. And so I understand, especially if she is basically ready to to play and she just has to get game fit again. I do also understand taking her. Yeah. Um, one final thing about the, Oh, actually I've got one more question. One more question about the U S roster before we turn into some of the bigger stuff. Um, so we've talked about the injury risks. That's one thing, right? The other source of discussion here, and I think I might be a little bit of a contrarian on this one. And I, th- I think you and I might be of a similar mind is this roster too old? <laughs> Which Probably. gets into the question of like, what are the Olympics for, right? Are they just for winning a gold medal or are they also for development? And that answer for the women is very different than for the men. 100%. And that uh, answer for the U.S. is also maybe different than some other countries. So what's your take on yeah. it, Brady? Um, I mean, I'm not the coach of this team, so I I love the idea of integrating new blood into this all the time, proving in more ways than one that the player pool is just so incredible. But if we're the expectations of the US women's national team are very, very specific for a lot of different reasons and none of them bad reasons the expectation is to win gold medals and win the world cup and win every single tournament they show up to. So if you're Vlat Goendanovsky and this is your first big tournament, I don't, I don't know if you feel comfortable taking really, I wouldn't say that they're big risks to leave off the likes of Carly Lloyd for uh, and you know Megan well Megan Rapino for other players because there are a lot of very capable players in this country. I don't know that those are big risks, but if you don't bring home the gold medal, then people are going to ask you what the heck you were doing. Right. Right. So. I think it's for this team, the expectations are that for other teams, there's less of a target on their back right? to bring in a mix of maybe older players and younger players. It's possible. Obviously it depends on the player pool too. Um, I will but, say for me yeah. in a way, I respect that for this team, there are no moral victories. I like yeah. in a way that the pressure that they put on themselves is to just win. No moral victories, just victories. Yeah. Uh, but that does mean that if they don't win, no moral victories either. So I, uh, I like that they place those expectations on themselves and they do have that win now because it does mean that they win a lot. And a thing I've always said about Jill Ellis is that you can have a lot of complaints about her roster construction, but she won two World Cups and that is her yeah. job. Uh, a couple other little things here. Thing number one. Do you think Allie Krieger and Ashlyn Harris being left off this roster for what you kind of have to think are Kruger actually in this alternate spot and 80 French, 
this isn't interpolating some circumstances or whatever. Do you think it's just a matter of form? Or do you think this is maybe Vladko Andonovsky saying, well, I think I actually always rated Franch over Harris and maybe always rated Kruger over Krieger. It's like a 2019 redux in a way, maybe. Because I'm yeah. not sure that Harris and Krieger have dropped off significantly enough to be the only players that get pushed off of this roster, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's probably the second that he always rated um, French and Kruger more than Harris and Krieger. But I think also what ends up working in the favor of the two players he did pick is that they're younger. Yes. And that they're... Maybe even more willing. Well, French made the real roster, but for someone like Kruger, maybe even just the player that he thinks might be more willing to go as an alternate. Right. There's still a future for those players, even though I think they're, well, Kruger is 30. She's 30, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure off the top of my head how old French is, but I think she's 30 also. She is over the age of 30, I believe. Okay. Yeah. That's what I meant in her 30s. And even though, you know, these aren't like the youngest of players, there's still a little bit of, time for them they can still you know the 2023 world cup is still very much in the cards for those players french is 30 exactly oh okay there you go see i mean french is a goalkeeper so there's even more of a future for her and you can and look maybe this is a fantasy but maybe you could have some fun little competition between her and nair for the next couple of years i don't know right yeah but I think that definitely has to work in, uh, in their favor. Andonovsky, I'm sure at some point, probably after this tournament, will really uh, like to explore that player pool again. Right. And, and you know, there might be a few other folks who retire. I don't think, obviously, Nair is going to be one of them. But there's a lot of room for experimentation after this tournament. And I sure. think if you get people like French and Kruger, maybe not minutes necessarily, but at least time with this group. Yeah. Then it puts them in a better position for the future. Whereas Harris and Krieger, I don't think have much more that they're not, I don't, I mean, they're older. I don't think they have a lot of playing career left ahead of them. Yeah. I think that's fair. I do think that's fair. Uh, okay. A couple other things. Well, actually maybe I'll just say this and then we'll move into some of the, us soccer federation stuff uh the one thing i want to say one final word on midge purse maybe which is this is just again my opinion but uh she was left off this roster entirely and i think that while she did so well to work herself into this conversation as an outside back my hope honestly is that this is a little bit of a focusing uh environment and i would like for it to not be an outside back conversation. And I think she should play as well as she possibly can in the league and then compete for a forward spot for 2023. And I think that that has to be what happens next. Stop messing around with the two different positions, all that sort of thing. That's an Olympic conversation. That is not a world cup conversation. I want her to be in this player pool as a forward in 2023. And I understand maybe why Vladko thinks that this is the best way for her to prepare herself for that. Totally agree. I think, right. I mean, that was sort of a focus for the now. It's like, if I can make this squad in any way, that's great. But at this point she didn't make it. I understand the choices. Look, even all of the choices here are really understandable, but I think it's time to abandon Mitch purse as an outside back. She, 
And she's a good forward. She's She's good enough at forward. Yeah, absolutely. And look, there are going to be people who retire. But even then, I think after this tournament, everything's wide open again. Yes. She should. She's good enough to play as a forward all the time, to excel there and be part of this team's uh, player pool. She is good enough for all of that. Agreed. So I do want to talk a little bit talking about shades of 2016, right? We talk about uh, the idea of bringing injured players, you know, like Megan Rapino, talking about outside back depth. We recall the years of Tobin Heath, <laughs> third choice outside back, right? Uh, yeah. But also some shades of 2016 is there was a little bit of some contentious back and forth between the U.S. Women's National Team and the U.S. Soccer Federation this week with the release of this HBO Max documentary, LFG, which is about the fight for equal pay. I, I haven't seen it yet. Part of you, you watched it over the weekend. Um, when people were sort of relitigating the loss in 2016, one of the topics of conversation was that the U.S. was in open contention with their federation and were in fact out of a CBA at that time. They are negotiating a CBA right now. They are still in one. They're going to be in one until the end of this calendar year. First question is, having seen the documentary, and I know that the documentary is a little bit more for people who haven't heard about this at all, rather than people who know a lot about it, uh, who are probably listening to this podcast, but do you think that this is something that can get in the way of what the team is trying to do on the field? Or do you think this is just sort of more of the same, they can handle it, U.S. soccer is fine with a little bit of tension there, and they just kind of have that uneasy but productive relationship going into this tournament actually that's one of the things i took away from this documentary which like you mentioned i actually claire knows this because of the way the uh film is being pitched and also i told her this before we started recording but it's there wasn't a lot of new information for anyone like you and me and anybody listening to this but one of the things i did take away from it was that People talk a lot about the risk it was for the U.S. players to challenge their federation months before a World Cup. But as much as the players need the federation, the player uh, the federation needs the players. So beca- uh, because they were all together, it was a smart risk, but maybe not as colossal a risk as maybe we thought about it. And they proved in 2019 that they can win with all of that tension there. I think if this team doesn't end up winning the gold medal, it's not going to be because of this lawsuit. I don't think it's going to be because they have tensions with the Federation. The Federation wants them to win as much as they want to win. That's the one thing that everybody can that agree on there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that I, yeah, I, I just, I don't think that'll get in the way, but I think the players maybe will, have that extra motivation to win because they'll be like, we're still winning. Why aren't you still paying us? And maybe it will remind people who on the fringes might've forgotten about the issue, but again, want to voice their support for them because the USWNT, I mean, this uh, documentary is part of their push to get the public on their side. Which I also think is funny because who in the public is not on their side. Yeah. (laughs) Um (laughs) I think the public is very on their side. I think the president is on their side. So it's, yeah. uh, I, I understand. I do get a little bit why U.S. soccer gets a little defensive because they do take a real beating in, in the court of public opinion, but uh, they have a strong case in the court of actual court. So 
Um, yeah, I think that it would be great if if the U.S. Women's National Team and U.S. Soccer could come to an understanding. I think they're fine with not agreeing on everything. And I do think, like you said, one of the things in this fight for equal pay is that a strike has never been on the table. They never want to jeopardize the program. They never want to jeopardize that winning culture. So I agree that if they don't win the Olympics, it'll probably be about soccer and not about this. Um, Any other takeaways from, from the movie? Any thoughts? Um, Again, the two teams are, I mean, the two sides are just rehashing the same arguments between the documentary itself and U.S. Soccer's 17-tweet-long Twitter thread this, yes. the night the, uh, the whole thing dropped. Um, I think really the one very small takeaway, if, you're, if you've been following the case, is that the U.S. team's lawyer, uh, Jeffrey Kessler, said that in depositions, Sunil Gulati, the former U.S. soccer president, admitted that they refused to offer the players an equal pay uh, or pay equal to their right. male That's counterparts. That's one fact that the two yes. sides have disputed for a long time. Yeah. Yes. And, but obviously, Gulati hasn't been president for a few years, and... We didn't hear from Carlos Cordero in the documentary. The the very first thing in the documentary is that U.S. Soccer refused to participate, um, which they have their own uh, reasons for, which they told the Washington Post. But uh, like I said, Galati said that they refused to offer it. We don't obviously have an update on what happened after he left. And U.S. Soccer continues to argue that they have offered it and that the players rejected it. Right. Right. But the players are, they keep saying that they actually did not receive that offer. So basically the big takeaway is we haven't moved much since. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. But if you need the recap, it's there. Yeah. Right. I mean, if there's any frustration, it's just that there hasn't been much progress. Right. Yeah. Um, And it's going to be fascinating. Well, this is something truly for November, 2021, but It'll be really interesting to see what what gets what does get pushed forward with this with this upcoming CBA. All yeah. right, so I think we've looked at this at about every angle we possibly could, hopefully, um, and we will be discussing all of these things when the games do actually occur, which is coming up real quick. They do have the send off games. Gosh, next week, right? Yeah, in a Something few like days. Um, I don't know. I will say that I'm not sure who is participating in that in terms of the roster. I don't think they can only take 18 to those. I think you have to have more than that. So we'll see if they just go with the 18, we'll see if the alternates maybe get one more weekend with their NWSL clubs rather than the core group. I'm that has not necessarily been confirmed yet. It's possible. We will see us alternates with their NWSL clubs next weekend. Also possible that they will be pulled at the same time as everybody else. Not entirely sure. Um, this was all happening. I, this segment has, has gone on quite long enough, but we have a lot to cover. So we're going to actually just talk about one thing, which is maybe pivoting into part two, which we'll be talking about this weekend of games, which is that we did also have three NWSL games at the same time as this roster announcement on Tuesday night, the, uh, the rain, OL rain, I almost called them the Seattle rain. Oh my oh, gosh. Oh That's my how goodness. you know I'm fried. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since they've been that, uh, they played Chicago. They hosted Chicago. They won that game two to nothing on goals from Bethany Balser and Shirley Cruz. Uh, on Wednesday, Orlando played Kansas City. They were away. No, home. I can't remember. They played Kansas, Kansas City. City. were home. Kansas City were home. They went away to Kansas City. Uh, they won that game three to one, two goals from Sydney LaRue, one goal from Marta. Kansas City 
did get a goal from Mariana Larroquette. And then North Carolina did defeat Louisville two to nothing on a brace from Lynn Williams, who has had a real heck of a week. We'll get into more of that in the next segment. So the pieces are starting to come together. We've gotten all of the rosters now. Every roster has been named for the Olympics. We're figuring out who's going to be gone and who's going to be here. For you, Party, real quick list. Who are sort of your, and we'll elaborate probably on why we think that in the next segment. Who are your NWSL heroes for this upcoming, upcoming period? Who do you think is going to be carrying the banner for this league while the, the international stars are away? The individual players or the teams? Players. Let's say players. Yeah. Okay. My number one prediction is Midge Purse. Sure. Yeah. I think Lynn Williams is doing the thing where you didn't call me up on the roster, but I'm going to score a lot of goals anyway. But Midge Purse is actually not going to Japan. Lynn Williams will be going to Japan. Right. So I think if anybody's going to have that kind of moment that Crystal Dunn did have, that she had after not making the 2015 World Cup roster, it's going to be Purse. She's won. Um, Eugenie Le Sommer is not going to the Olympics because France didn't make it. And so I, I think that she is in great position to make an impact. Uh, if Kansas City can do it, can manage things, Amy Rodriguez, I think, is going to lead them there. Um, yeah, those are those are the ones off the top of my head, I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would probably add Trinity Rodman to that. Oh, of course. Trinity See? Rodman, Sydney LaRue. Oh, yep. There's another one. one. These people were in my head before. Oh, yeah. Well, there are some good options. There are lots of good options. I think the NWSL is in very good hands. But yeah, um, for sure. yeah I think we're going to see some attackers get some shine. Uh, I think we're going to see some leaky defenses, too, because we're oh, there yeah. are quite a few defenders who are who are leaving for international duty. Um yeah, I think that there are there is some exciting stuff happening in the league, and this is the good segue to say thank you for listening to Part A. Uh, we will be talking about the weekend's NWSL action in the next segment. Stay tuned. All right, welcome to Part 2 of this week's edition of the Equalizer Podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. I am joined by Party Catry. We're going to talk NWSL. we got a whole lot of NWSL to talk about. I'm going to ask the question I ask every week. I love this question. <laughs> How did this weekend feel? How did uh, this whole kind of swath of games feel? Maybe a little chaotic at times? Yes. Yeah, definitely chaotic. I, thought, I mean, especially because the first one had a delayed kickoff, and I thought we'd be able to, you know have a little bit of separation but it was fine um honestly entertaining round of matches i don't think there was a lot to complain about on that end so at least if you're going to clog up my saturday you did a good job of it (laughs) agreed yeah i think that this was this was a really good showing for the league this weekend i i liked all of these games i think that there was some really good narrative to all of these even the ones that weren't close Yes. Uh, so, so I'm excited to dive into this. Oh, I forgot to tell people to rate and review. Please rate and review this podcast. Give us five stars. <laughs> Sorry. We've got a lot to talk about. I want to talk about the game. We're going to talk about the game. So we're going to start with the first game or what was supposed to be the first game. I actually think, oh, well, rain versus Gotham did kick off before this game actually kicked off, but the scheduled first game of the weekend, which was Chicago hosting Louisville. It was Chicago's pride game supposed to be in the middle of the day. Yes, we did have some pretty, tough weather conditions um the chicago area briefly we're just going to talk weather the chicago area (laughs) has been hit with 
a number of tornadoes in the last seven days. There was a quite large one that hit the area last Sunday. And I think there were maybe three yesterday, three on Saturday. Oh, none of none of the size of the one a week ago, but it kept popping up. There like, it was a tornado sighting in, in this neighborhood. There was a tornado sighting in, in this in this neighborhood, in this neighborhood. None of none of which hit the city proper, but it, in the surrounding suburbs. Uh, fortunately, Bridgeview was not one of those neighborhoods that got hit by a tornado. And so the game did eventually kick off, despite the fact that there was some pretty torrential rain throughout the first half specifically. So this game, ooh, I was there. Louisville beat Chicago three to nothing on goals from Emily Salmon, Yuki Nagasato, and Savannah McCaskill. First question for you, Pardeeb. Is Chicago in big trouble? Honestly, maybe, right? I kind of want to say yes. Yeah. This this what we're we're looking at like 11 to 13 games played by each team if you're counting the Challenge Cup at this point. And I don't think Chicago have gotten into a rhythm at all yet. And you know, you can you can forgive some of some early stuff whatever it's the beginning of the season, but they're not they're they're not scoring a lot. They if, haven't scored in the run of play in three games. That's bad. Yeah. That's bad. And they're 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 kind of leaky in the back. Obviously, they conceded three just this weekend. Uh, two to the rain, so that's five in two yeah. games. If we're just talking this week, uh, yeah, I I I think it's probably time to start worrying about the Chicago Red Stars a little bit. There's just doesn't seem like anything's clicking right now. Yeah, my thought is that I perhaps wish that Chicago had been a little bit more nimble with the warning signs maybe four or five weeks ago. Maybe that's where I'm at with it, which is that I don't think there is a lot of new information about what they do well and what they're not doing so well. But the signs were there a while ago. And what Rory Dames, the choice that Rory Dames had to make, and I understand the choice that he made, but I think it's really hurting them right now is that you either have to trust the process and believe that the project is going to continue to improve over time. And it is part of a coach's job to maybe have some vision further out that we who do this stuff weekly don't necessarily have, but then it needs to start working. And that is what they haven't seen. I think the not scoring goals thing is the same problem that it's been since the beginning of the challenge cup. And the big concern is that it's not getting better. And then, yeah, I mean, the goal differential against Chicago is really rough right now. And that is where you get into bigger questions of like, what is this club's identity this year? Because at the very least, I think they were striving to not give goals up easy. And then if they had to win a lot of games, one, nothing fine, but they're not really stopping goals from going in against them. And they're also not even getting that one goal per game. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I it's tough. It's tough right now. And I will say that having watched this game, Chicago, it's, it's partially personnel for sure, but it is also the way that they are set up in the attack. This was a very sloppy game, right? It was really wet. Conditions were not very good. Louisville immediately and I think they do this all the time but this is their kind of a game where they just they went direct they played physically they moved the ball with confidence and they let their playmakers play make whereas Chicago likes to put a lot of numbers in the attack 
and move the ball around, except there's no clarity in that. It's very muddy what they're even trying to do. So it's a mixture of, no, they don't have an out-and-out goal scorer, but they're also not exactly enabling someone like Mallory Pugh to be able to do that anyway. So it's a lot of different issues. I will say that I became a big Louisville fan during this game, though. Yeah. That was fun from them. I know. Talk about a team with identity. Yeah, exactly. They know exactly who they are. They know that they don't have all the pieces. They know that they're going to have some questionable defensive moments, but the way that they were able to transition and counter and stay very mentally engaged and compete was really impressive to me. And it was very fun to watch. You know, Emily Fox had another very good game, even though she didn't get on the score sheet and yeah, Chicago just really struggled. And it is kind of funny to me that two of the goal scorers were former red stars, more former red stars actually scored this weekend. And, (laughs) uh, also Ebony Salmon is a, is an NWSL natural, right? Truly. I, to, she has just come right in and she's been great. What I was worried for a while about Louisville's recruitment, to be honest. I'm pretty sure I've said it on this podcast. It's not like anybody who's been listening a while will be surprised, but they really have, I have to give them credit. They are executing that a, a very specific vision of being direct and I think attack minded they've, I think their best recruitment has been an attack. They've got, they obviously have Nagasato and McCaskill who those moves, they give you want the very, the most basic narrative in the whole wide world about that game. It showed up. Yes. It provided itself. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it's not just that it's Ebony Sal- uh, Salmon. Uh, Nadia and Adim will show up at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily Fox has been great going forward. Cece Kaiser has been playing. Oh, yeah. There's another one. They are actually doing really well. I think it's a little bit maybe surprising, but surprising in a great way to see them to see them play that well. But even the games that they don't like outright win, they're competitive in, except for that one. North Carolina courage. Well, right. I mean, the bad, the thing is with them is that I don't even think you have to worry about the bad losses that much. I think that that, again, it's identified issues. And so the fact that they have winnable games, like you look at them compared to Kansas City, what they're doing is putting together a like a a rookie campaign that you can build off of. Are they playoff contenders? I don't think so. But it is exciting. It's good to get the fans engaged. It's all the same stuff that we've been saying. And sometimes that in the NWSL, which is a very topsy turvy league turns into wins. And I think that that's great. I just think that the mindset is very good. I think that the identification of talent and playing towards that talent is very good and they should be really proud of that game. I Absolutely. Think. Absolutely. Um, again, coming off of that loss, right. Against North Carolina. So moving on, to the other well we had a couple actually lopsided lopsided scores but this one is the other three to nothing lopsided score ol rain uh hosted gotham fc on the surface of the sun in tacoma (laughs) (laughs) uh midday very very hot so they are coming off of that win against chicago though maybe in the context of this game again not flattering for chicago right considering what happened with ol rain against Gotham, which is that Gotham won this one three to nothing as well. 
with goals from Ifioma Animanu, Midge Purse, and Dami Richardson, which that was only her second career goal. Um, oh boy, the rain. They're very hot and cold. Yes. Right? Uh, yeah. They had some very dangerous moments in this match, some uncharacteristic mistakes. And this is maybe what we're talking about when we talk about Gotham. But for the rain, they had, there was that very promising attack where Fishlock floats offside. Or you have Megan Rapino miss wide a couple of times when she's got more time than she thinks. Or you have Eugenie Lesamere miss wide. And I actually think Lesamere had a good game. I think that you can see exactly the quality that she's going to bring to this team in a game like this one. But so they don't take those chances. And then Gotham really exploits the OL Reign defense. I'll be the one to say it. Alana Cook had a really rough game. It seemed like she was not necessarily prepared for the NWSL style of play as a center back. She was pushing forward a lot and she was not sprinting back in recovery when mistakes were made. Go back. I I, I recommend people going back and, and looking at those three goals that Gotham scored and kind of seeing where she is and thinking these are fixable problems. It's about understanding the environment that you're in, but they were definitely exposed. Uh, she was definitely exposed. Sarah Buadi was exposed. Uh, so this is a little bit where you're like, okay, you have these players coming in from the French league. Welcome to the NWSL, right? <laughs> yeah, that high line was exposed a lot of times. The rain were in this game for a really long time. They, yeah, this this scoreline could have been different, but oh, you you characterized it perfectly. They are such a hot and cold team right now. It feels sometimes like they're finally putting the pieces together. Like I actually came off of their game against the Red Stars pretty optimistic about them. Like, look at them. They're finally figuring it out. Looks like there's still going to be some growing pains along the way, though. And like you said, these are fixable mistakes. They just haven't fixed them yet. And the score lines are going to reflect that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, On Gotham's end. So no Carly Lloyd. She got the game off. She wasn't listed. I, I wish she would have been listed on the injury report, to be completely honest. I think that when you give a player an excused absence, that's fine. But you do need to tell people that. Yeah. Uh, like the Thorns did that with Lindsay Horan. Just say excused absence. That's okay. Uh, so that meant that uh, Animanu started at the nine, which I do think is her strongest position. And they actually had uh, Nahomi Kawasumi in the left wing position because Paige Monahan is out with an injury. So I thought that, that was an interesting attacking lineup for them. But their defense, ugh, the Gotham defense, I have a stat here that I do want to cite because it's, it's wild to me. So their XG against, which means that the expected goals based on the positions of the attackers that take the shots against Gotham, is 10.89, so essentially 11 goals. They have actually conceded two. <laughs> Luck. Wow. It is. It's. I think it has to be a mix of a lot of different things. Luck, for sure, right? I, it was not the Gotham defense that caused Rapino to miss or Lesomer to miss or Fishlock to drift offside. There's something about this run that Gotham is on that has as much to do about their opponent not executing as what they're doing. But also Mandy Freeman is so smart in the way that she defends because she's not the fastest defender in the world, but 
the way that she closes angles down to get that like final block, despite the fact that a, a player has gotten into a very dangerous position, it keeps improving every single game. It's and then true. you have Kaylin Sheridan clean up the rest of it. And I think that's how you end up with this gap. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's pretty remarkable last stitch defending on their part. Probably not. It's not a strategy that I think you should recommend to almost any team. Or you, I wouldn't even have recommended it for Gotham, but right. clearly, I mean, it does help that Sheridan can do this. And we know she can do this. She's been doing this for them for a really long time. But Mandy Freeman has only added to that quality. She's got, she's really got a very particular ability to come in with those blocks. Like you said, it's, it's almost kind of funny, but in a good way. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. As long as it keeps working. I mean, we keep waiting for like that regression to the mean period. And maybe that's coming during the Olympic break, but or not break, but the Olympic period. But they're they're doing a really good job of of doing of executing what they do. And I think they played a team this weekend who had the wrong game plan against Gotham's strengths. Uh, I, yeah. I don't think you should play that high of a line unless you know exactly what your defense is doing. And I think that they got punished for it three times. Um, so yeah, so Gotham beats OL Reign three to nothing. That's great for Gotham. Good points to pick up. OL Reign still a big work in progress. Uh, moving on to the next game, North Carolina hosted Portland. North Carolina coming off that two to nothing win against Louisville, uh, Lynn Williams brace. We had another Lynn Williams brace in this game, two to nothing against the Portland Thorns. Good win for North Carolina. Very comprehensive. The thing that I was impressed by for them as much as what they did in the attack, which those were two, those were two pretty, I mean, simple goals is the wrong way to put it, but one was off a corner and one was a header off of a cross. So really well executed uh, training ground kind of stuff, but they really forced Portland back a lot. Yeah. You saw Simone Charlie like pushing back into her defensive line to try to get service and try to generate something. And I think the thorns missed Lindsay Horan a lot. And it's interesting. It was interesting to watch them struggle a little bit without her. Um, but Lynn Williams, what a week, right? Yeah. I mean, do you remember when we thought that maybe the courage would be a tiny bit of an underdog this season? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Paul Riley will want to play that card forever. But uh, no, the, the courage being the courage, that, that's back. The personnel may be a little different. A little, not a lot. But they're back that they they executed that their game plan so well and i think and to be fair to portland they weren't out of it either but this i think is a recurring theme of their season they actually had a lot of shots but they did not get a lot of them on frame i am i think it was like 17 shots three of them on target maybe that's them being unlucky again but this this keeps happening to them. Right. I think that what we are seeing with Portland a little bit, and you have to think that the Olympic period will be a good incubator for this, which is that their forwards are not as clinical as they need to be right now. And that you just kind of have to work through. But yeah, Simone Charlie has gotten a lot of good looks in the last couple of weeks and like kudos to her for getting into those spaces, but those chances are not really getting finished. And 
yeah, you need to keep developing Morgan Weaver. You need to keep developing Sophia Smith, who did pick up a little bit of a knock this week. And so that uh, affected her ability to play in this game. But yeah, I think that you're right that they just, they do have these games where they just come out flat in the attack and then it becomes an unreasonable task for their defense to hold the other team off. Um, the one thing I want to say about Lynn Williams, and I think that this is also true for Mitch Purse, and, and will be true for a number of other players too, is that I do think that the narrative of getting a little bit of a fire, you know, stirred up by, by missing a roster or being an alternate on a roster is true. I think that you can definitely use those emotions of, of disappointment and frustration towards turning that towards the league. But the thing I also wonder with some of these players who are on the bubble too, is if it's just useful to have an answer, (laughs) you know, it's just to not have the thing hanging over your head. That's been hanging over your head for the last six months. And whether that answer is good or bad, you at least know. And then it's like one less thing to worry about. And I wonder if that's also what we saw with Lynn Williams this week, because she's a good striker, but she is someone that is at her best when she can feel confident and focused on what she's doing. And that has to be kind of what we saw this week, right? Yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting thing to think about. It it, ju- it does take just something off the plate. And then again, it's we're a month-ish away from then the whole thing being reset. And that too probably brings a little bit of... Probably takes at least the one stressor away in a little bit in a, in a, in a, in a sort of way, because you know, you have an idea of what the next several months, the next year is going to look like. You just have an idea of what that is now. I can't imagine doing your job and not knowing if you were actually physically about to spend a month in Japan or not. I know that sounds hard. (laughs) Yeah. Completely honest. Uh, so, yeah, so I think that we saw some players at least know just knowing what comes next can can be really helpful. And I think that's been true for Lynn Williams. So good goal or sorry, good, good week for North Carolina. Yeah, I think that they are shield contenders. I think you have to call them that at this point. Yeah. And Portland, who we thought might just kind of run away with everything, are doing their best to keep other people in it. So we'll, <laughs> we uh, we'll see kind of where that goes. They'll want to have I, I know that they they're going to want better for themselves than, than their record right now. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them sort of focus and improve. Um, so moving on to the fourth game of Saturday, this one was Houston hosting Orlando. Orlando took their first loss of the year, which, you know, all streaks have to come to an end. It's not reasonable to expect the Orlando pride to never lose a game this season, but they did <laughs> lose to the Houston dash two goals for the dash uh, Maria Sanchez and Veronica Latsko. And Gunny Yon's daughter did get a goal back for the pride in the second half. Um, Maria Sanchez showed her value and now she's gone, right? Yeah. What are you, uh, that's one heck of a way to go out. Though. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, credit to her for getting on the board. That, like I said, good way to go out. I thought, I think the dash outplayed the pride on Saturday. I think you could also just tell which team had played midweek and which yes. team hadn't. 100%. Even though yeah, I in credit to the dash for that too though cuz again we're we're looking at the dash excelling with 
without i mean it, like the people that i think were the best performers for them on saturday were the players that aren't you know they're big names you know uh what latsko scored in addition i think to- i think latsko getting on the score sheet is huge yes yeah. yeah and i think that bodes well for them in this olympic period where they're going to be without daily and they're going to be without muis that was my big question mark for them going to the season was can they can they perform at a high level without those players? And I think in the Challenge Cup, because that started during an international break, the question was maybe they can't. But they're coming into their own. That's a good thing. They've got they've got they've got talented players. Like you said, Latsko scoring is a big deal in addition to her work off the score sheet. So I think this was actually a pretty good result for them all in all. I agree. I think we're moving, right? We're sort of moving well into the second quarter of the season. And I do think you've got maybe your shield contenders, you've got your playoff contenders, and you've got people in the mix. One of the things you have to do in the NWSL, if you want to put a good campaign together, is to win winnable games. And I think that Houston did that perfectly this weekend. When you have a team coming off short rest, that is, is good. Their quality is high, but you have an opportunity here. You're hosting them. You want to win at home. You want to win against teams that you are more rested than win winnable games with the roster that you have. And I think that Houston, we'll talk about this last game of the weekend and Washington did that as well. And that is what gives you momentum and gives the team some confidence. And even the players who are not the stars, like you said, get Veronica Latsko some, some momentum, and they can take this and this can be the foundation of this next period of the, of the year for them. And I think that, I don't think that they played significantly differently than they have, but we've seen Houston also just drop some weird results. And the fact that they didn't let Orlando come back on them, I think was positive. And also even for the pride, I think the fact that they got a goal back was good for them. They were very tired. They are not a team that, is generally very good at pushing coming in from behind their whole thing is they want to score first. They want to kind of change the game state and then work through that. And I don't know. I, I thought both teams showed out pretty well. I just think that the better team on the day won this one for sure. Um, yeah. So that's that on that. And then moving to the last game of the weekend, Kansas city, Oh, poor Kansas city. They hosted the Washington spirit. Coming off of that 3-1 loss against Portland, or not Portland, against Orlando, they lost this one 2-1 to one in heartbreaking fashion. You have to feel for them. You really do. You really do. So uh, Amy Rodriguez scores first. Kansas City holds on to that lead for a long time. Washington, to their credit, makes a big push at the end. Andy Sullivan sends a beautiful ball and she sent this exact same ball in against Chicago. She does this so well. Ashley Sanchez gets the equalizer and then Trinity. (laughs) I was about to swear Trinity freaking Rodman (laughs) at the death gives Washington the win. So first question, we'll actually go with the victors first. Washington kind of like Gotham, maybe feel like they've got a little bit of destiny to them this year, a little bit of magic. They're winning games that for portions of the game, it feels like things are really not going their way, but they're finding a way to win. And this is perhaps the most dramatic example of that. Uh, 
would probably be better for them to win more outright, but win winnable games. And Washington yeah. did that. What was your thought on uh, Washington's performance? I think we were talking earlier about trusting the process. We were talking about that with the Red Stars. I think the spirit are kind of in the same boat. They're just getting way more results out of it. And also they're showing periods in games, even in games that they're not always the better team in, or they're not always dominating. There are periods in those games where you're seeing the quality that the Washington spirit promises, you know, Andy Sullivan, we ta- you just mentioned delivered a great ball that wasn't even the first time she's done that in recent memory. Uh, Trinity Rodman is, she has really begun her professional career in great form. These, these are, it's a team that maybe isn't getting it all right right now, but you know, the points are going their way and credit to them for that. Uh, It's always good to win the games that you're not, always doing the best in yeah agreed yeah but you see the vision you see the idea of what the washington spirit wants to be even if they're not quite there yet i agree i think i think that with washington they're a funny team in that they are containable until they aren't right <laughs> it's yeah like, you can contain them for 80 percent of a game but then that 20 percent that you can't do it that's where they get these results. And I also want to say that they are getting performances, not only from their younger players, right? Like Trinity Rodman or Ashley Sanchez, but Andy Sullivan and Tori Huster are the foundation of everything for this team. And they both, again, had really good matches this week. And it's about calmness. It's about vision. It's about defensive commitment. I think the world of Andy Sullivan as a player. And while I understand why she is not on the U S roster, she's the kind of player where I wish that the discourse surrounding some of the exceptional play in the league didn't always lead to talk about the U S women's national team, because I want to appreciate this just exactly for what it is, which is that she's a leader on this team. She plays in a very particular way, but she's also versatile in a more attacking position or a more deep lying playmaking position. And she sees the game in slow motion in such a way that when opportunities are there, she sees them and she executes on them. And I just, I, I really just encourage people to watch what she does. And I want to say the same for Tori Huster, which is that she is absolutely the veteran on this team that has a lot of young people and she has played outside back for them. She has played defensive midfield for them. She has played the eight for them. She has been all over the field and she is adept at all of it. And so I think that what Washington has is they've got this beautiful mixture of really smart tactical players and these younger players who are learning from them and are fearless. And I think that is enough to get them the results that they're getting right now. We'll see if it can compete with some of the top teams in this league but this is an exciting prospect for them as the year goes on. It's why I rate them so highly. This ro- I love the way this roster is built. It 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 is like it it feels like that that ideal mixture of gifted tactical players of great of veterans who are really great foundational pieces 
for a club that want that has these great young players that they want to help develop and showcase it. I rate them really highly. Yeah. It's like, I think that you can probably compare like Sullivan and Houston to maybe what Yuki Nagasato bought, brought to the Red Stars in yeah. 2018 and 2019. It's like yeah, you need that. those players that have that veteran leadership and have that very particular facilitator kind of play to facilitate what your other players are doing. Um, okay, so now we have to talk about Kansas City. They have not won a game yet. Twice this week, it looked like they had a spark that maybe could get them over the line. The schedule didn't help them very much. My question about Kansas City is, unlike Louisville, I'm not sure this team... Here, here's what I, I'm like trying to think of the best way to say this. Louisville benefits from being brand new, I think. They benefit from being a group of players who had never played before. And so it's a clean slate. Everyone gets to sort of redefine who they are, see how they fit together. And they're going to take some tough losses, but they're going to have some great wins. Kansas City almost feels like a roster that because it comes from that bad Utah situation, I'm not sure that these players are playing like their best selves right now in addition to maybe some of the talent deficit that they're dealing with. And that's maybe how you end up with a winless team. I think it also probably helps that Louisville had a way longer timeline. That's so true. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. The Kansas city thing happened so last minute, everything just was sort of plopped together. And the found, like the, the, the foundation isn't bad there. This is a team that, even in, I mean, like they, they haven't won a game, but even in most of their games, you see that they can compete. I mean, they almost pulled it off on Saturday against the Spirit. They've got they've got good players. They can compete. They can. They've got stretches of matches where they're doing well, but it just feels like the the sort of glue. And not necessarily like just a player that's the glue, but the whole cementing of the operation is not there yet. And it feels like that on the field, it feels like that off the field. This is a team without a name, without a logo, really, without an identity. To me, just in every which way, this team looks like it was scrapped together really quickly and told, just do your best. and Right. Yeah, just do your best. We'll focus on next year. Next year's a really, this is the soft launch year. Next year is the actual launch. But that's going to be hard for a lot of, it's going to result in a tough season for players and that coaching staff. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I also just think that there, I wish that there were fewer question marks with Kansas City. I wish that like, like with Louisville, like, you know, what's going well and you know, what's going probably because I've said this a million times today, but it, there's some <laughs> clarity there. Whereas with Kansas city, there are still questions like why isn't Kate Delfava playing more or why isn't Michelle Vasconcelos playing more? And those decisions don't necessarily set them up great for a, a short rest week. And also just positionally, they do have issues, but they've tried maybe some of those players out of position and it's gone kind of fine. And then they don't stick with that project and i i just wish that i you can look at a team and understand what its issues are and why it's not competing 
but there are too many other questions, I guess, for me. And I think that that is, again, why you have one team that is taking a lot of really tough losses, but getting some good wins. And you have one team that just can't even hold on to three points. So maybe I'm being too harsh. I don't know. I, I think, I don't know. I don't, I, I guess I just don't know where Kansas city's win comes from. Yeah. Me either. I think I, I don't know. Some of it is obviously bad luck, but again, the whole thing to me just seems so incomplete. I cannot get that out of my head. And that is down to, I mean, that, comes in relation to the question marks you were talking about it it really just feels so much like the soft launch here it really i cannot yeah. get that out of and they might look very different when they do the real launch not just in logo but also perhaps in roster it seems like mm-hmm. um but yeah i agree i think they have some bright spots still but uh i worry for them and i and i also when you see a team it is true that in the sport of soccer you can compete really closely and still lose a lot of games Uh, but we've also seen precedent in this league for teams that have really struggled and you find out later that the fact that they were not winning became a psychological barrier. And so you just hope that that doesn't become the issue for Kansas city because you want that thing to not be the thing that stops them getting those wins. Absolutely. Um, but you know, tomorrow's a new day. They have a new slate of games next weekend. And I do think they will win a game. I'm putting it out oh, to the yeah, universe. Kansas I, City is going to win a game. And also, you know, their fan base is is doing wonderfully for them. All the same positives, but they're really struggling in the results department. So this has been a very long episode of the Equalizer <laughs> podcast, but we had a lot to cover. And this is maybe a little bit of a preview of what life is going to be like for the next couple of weeks, because we're going to have some international games. We're going to have a full slate of NWSL games. They are not slowing down for this international period. And uh, we will be back with you next time. Thank you so much party for joining me. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. Thank you to blue wire podcasts who distribute this podcast. So everybody can hear it. Uh, I'll do this again at the end rate and review. I'm just going to sprinkle it in from now on. (laughs) Uh, And I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Thanks so much for listening guys.